So once again, I thank you all for making your time to be here. My name is Peter Shalo. For those who may not know me, uh, we fellowship in a ministry called Fulfilling Life in Christ Koinonia, which we call it Flick. Fulfilling Life in Christ Koinonia. It is an interdenominational fellowship that we host here in Nairobi. Um, we usually meet in Langata Road at Uchumi Hyper Boardroom on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. And our focus is just learning about the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the effects that abound in the life of a believer. And we are so grateful for the wonderful privilege of knowing Christ Jesus. Because that is at the heart of what our faith is built upon. It is at the heart of what our faith is built upon. And so my prayer always is that we will continually learn of him continually learn of him even as paul says i travail that christ may be formed in you and it is a joy and a privilege to serve hand in hand with also the sons of virtue ministry my wife has been part of um sov from many years ago oh we were talking about those stories uh wow what a journey what a journey i found my wife in sov like I, I not that i came to sov but I, when i met her she was already serving with sov many years ago many years ago pastor gloria you have those wonderful stories and wonderful tales about the journey that you've had from many years ago and so now being able to walk hand in hand with her and together with SOV in the labor of the Lord is such a great joy and honor. And I pray that many of you will, con will join in, not just as recipients of ministry, but also as ministers, and that you will continue in this wonderful labor of the Lord. Yesterday, we learned about the hardness of heart, and we looked at the book of Hebrews majorly, um, the state of the heart of the children of Israel. Their hearts were hardened. They were obstinate, stiff-necked, stubborn, and they will not be persuaded about the promise of God to give them rest. And we see many of them falling in the wilderness. And as we read about it, we were able to parallel that account of the children of Israel with our present time. We were able to relate it with our present time and we were able to look at our lives and we were able to see the context in which sometimes our hearts are hardened. It was never my intention uh, to bring forth 
that perspective or if we were if, if you would like the exhortation or the rebuke but the scriptures gave it to us and we were able to look at it presently even in terms of how we relate with the service unto the lord even in the ministry and we were all rebuked by the word and we also where we need to really really step up like grow in our walk with the lord and not be casual about it we also the need of desiring to grow in christ and yielding ourselves to the counsel and the instruction of the word and today um i know pastor gloria you mentioned that we will talk about hardness of heart in marriage um as time allows we might cover that but there's just a certain portion that i would like us to look at in 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 relation to hardness of heart and maybe we can close with marriage tomorrow but nonetheless we will learn and whatever we are learning is still very much tied to the subjects of marriage one of the things i did mention is almost in every passage of the scripture where hardness of heart is spoken about it is in correlation with the concept of salvation almost every place where the hardness of heart is spoken about it is in relation with the subject of salvation we looked at genesis chapter 6 uh the story of noah which was also a type of salvation because we see the ones that were obedient noah who was obedient and the bible refers to him as a preacher of righteousness in their obedience to the lord they were preserved while a world that was continually imagining evil in their hearts perished as indeed stated in proverbs 28 verse 14 how blessed is the man who fears always but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity and we see that there was a population that hardened their heart there was evil in the earth and so many of them perished and when christ speaks about his coming he also references the days of noah and says it will be like the days of noah that men shall be given to their own desires and men shall be busy with their own things and lo and behold calamity came upon them and then we read about the story of pharaoh and as we read about pharaoh we also see the concept of salvation playing out because the hardness of heart demonstrated in pharaoh who was uh, a type of oppression a type of burden just like the weight of sin just like the burden of sin upon the life of a believer pharaoh was hardened in his heart and it had to take the sacrifice of a lamb without blemish and spot which is the paschal lamb or referred to as the passover for the children of israel to be let go it had to take the sacrifice of passover that the children of israel would now be let go which we know the bible refers to christ 
as the Passover lamb. He's referred to as the Paschal lamb. He's referred to as the lamb of God without blemish or sport. The Bible says you have been purchased not with um, perishable things, but with the imperishable, uh, sorry, no, that's not what he says. It, it talks about how we have been purchased with the precious blood of the lamb, which is without blemish and sport in reference to Christ. And so we see that example. Another thing is that there's the death of the firstborn in Egypt that brought a lot of wailing and brought Egypt to its knees. And Christ is referred to as the firstborn. God refers to, um, to the children of Israel as his firstborn. And we see the death of the firstborn taking place in Egypt and they were let go. And the Bible talks about us coming to the church of the firstborn, which is Jesus Christ. So we see that parallel heavily, bringing in the concept of salvation. When we read about the hardness of heart yesterday in relation to the children of Israel, it says, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did harden their hearts in their rebellion. And it also talks about rest, rest that is related to the concept of salvation because the Bible says after God had worked, he ceased from his works, which is the word Shabbat. And if you understand its meaning throughout the period, it was the rest that the children of Israel were to also exercise. And as they exercised their rest, they remembered the deliverance of God. They remembered how God had delivered them. And the concept of rest comes into the time of Christ when he comes and declares that he's the Lord of the Sabbath and that Sabbath was made for man, but not man made for Sabbath to show that it is tied to the understanding of Christ. It is tied to the understanding of Christ. Our Sabbath, our rest is tied to the Lord of the Sabbath, which is Christ and what he has dealt to us. So we have rest in him and the rest that we experience is salvation. That's why Jesus makes also a call and says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so we see rest also painted as salvation. So they're correlated. They're correlated a lot. And I wanted us to set our attention also to a number of scriptures today as time permits so that we can also understand more and more about this subject of the hardness of heart. We have to understand one thing. The Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Paul speaking to Timothy says that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise and to salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. That from a child thou hast been acquainted with the sacred writings that are able to give you an ability to explain or to learn the subject of salvation. That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. And the reference to holy scriptures were the writings 
that were present at that particular time, which is considered to be the body of books that consist of the Old Testament, or if you would like, the books of the Old Testament as classified in the Bible, that is Genesis to Malachi. We know that the Old Testament begins when Moses gives the law, but generally, the books of Genesis to Malachi are the body of work that I refer to as the Holy Scriptures. And he says that from a child, thou has known the writings that are contained in Genesis to Malachi, and those writings are able to give you an understanding of salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. That the mission of the scriptures was to bring somebody to a place of understanding salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. It means that this is a very central subject throughout all our lives, our faith, our practice of Christianity is built around our understanding of salvation. It's built around our understanding of salvation. Fundamentally, it is built around our understanding of salvation. That is why you would find a lot of Christians engaged in activities of perhaps praying for people, casting out devils, and they consider that to be deliverance. They say that they are in the deliverance ministry and their intentions are pure. Their intentions are genuine, albeit being ignorant because the true deliverance or the meaning or the context of deliverance in the Bible is salvation. Deliverance in itself is salvation. Casting out devils is casting out devils, but deliverance is salvation. And, and so sometimes we will practice things based on our understanding. And so our understanding of salvation is very fundamental. And so today, as we look at also a number of scriptures, we'll see the hardness of heart also in relation to the subject of salvation. All right. In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter six, the book of Isaiah, chapter six. The Bible says, We'll have a focus in verse 10, but we will start off from chapter 1. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of them, Seraphim, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. 
he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to these people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, and to their towns and are empty, until the towns are empty, until the houses are deserted and the whole country is wasteland. In the King James, verse 10 reads, and he said, go and tell these people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see indeed and perceive not. Make the heart of the people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And as we, as we read um, this particular passage, we see that reference in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10 that says make the heart of the people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed and this is in relation to the hardness of heart that was in the people of israel severally in the book of jeremiah a reference is given to the hardness of heart A lot of reference is given to the subject of hardness of heart in the writings of Jeremiah. It is littered with, uh, with, with scriptures that give reference to that hardness of heart. Um, if you look at um, several scriptures, which I will read in, in a short while, you will understand why this message was given out because Jeremiah was uh, born and grew up in the village of Ananoth, which according to history was a few miles northeast of Jerusalem and in a priestly family, his childhood um, probably learned, he learned of the traditions of his people and also uh, previous prophecies. And the period in which he lived in was during the Assyrian Empire, which had been dominant for two centuries, and it declined and fell. And we know about the entrance of, there was the issue of uh, the capital Nineveh captured by the Babylonians. And um, there's, there's, a, there's a very interesting uh, history there of oppression, of burdens uh, that were also upon uh, the people of Israel. And uh, as he was basically prophesying to the children of Israel, his early messages to the people were condemnations of them for their false worship and injustice. And he was summoning them to repent. And he proclaimed about different empires coming forth 
and the instructions and the warnings that were continually issued out to the children of Israel. And so in Jeremiah, we see prophecies that also point towards Christ in relation to what will happen in the future and his work that will come upon the body of Christ. So we come across several verses in the book of Jeremiah. We come across verses that talk about the promise of a new heart. We, we come across verses that keep putting in reference to the state of people's heart. Jeremiah 5.23 says, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. Jeremiah 9.14 says, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart and after bowels and their fathers taught them. Jeremiah 11 verse 8 says, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked each one in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Jeremiah 13 verse 10 says, the wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. Let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. Jeremiah 16 verse 12 says, you too have done evil, even more than your forefathers. For, be for behold, you are each walking according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart without listening to me. Jeremiah 18 verse 12 says, but they will say it's hopeless for we are going to follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Jeremiah 23 verse 26 says, how long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the deception of their own heart. So the reference is cited severally. It's cited severally. And even this particular verse that we have read, we will see it being referenced in the Gospels at certain intervals. So as we start there, now we come, as we read in the book of Isaiah, uh, we see that hardness of heart that is presented there. And we see uh, certain, of, certain statements uh, that are cited in relation to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. In the book of Acts, Chapter 28, Acts chapter Paul is, I think, at Rome from verse 17. Acts 28 from verse 17. If you're there, please say amen. Amen. Acts 28. Uh, I think I'll read from verse 17. Um, we read th uh, three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. And then, um, 
Verse 18 says, the Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the, for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, we have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So as time was set and that on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Oh, please take note of that. Please take note of that. Oh. So as verse 23 says, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening, that he persuaded them concerning Jesus. He persuaded them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. Well, speak the Holy Ghost by Esaias, the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is what grows, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they shall see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You hear that? So, again, we see the reference pointing towards the things that the prophets had said. Isaiah had said this, and also we see the same statement in the book of Jeremiah. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me, and let me heal them, and let me heal them, and let me heal them. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. Then verse 28 says, so I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. So please pay attention to this particular passage. Verse 23 says, so a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to pass with them about Jesus from the scriptures. 
using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. He spoke to them from morning till evening. So Paul was trying to persuade these people. He was trying to persuade these people from the law of Moses and from the books of the prophets. He tried to persuade them from the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. Well, I don't know if you if you're really um, listening to that because Paul desired to go to Rome. Early in his journey, he wrote to them and said, "I desire to see you." that I might impart into you a spiritual gift that in the end ye may be established. That is that we may both be mutually comforted by the faith of one another. And when Paul arrived there and was allowed to have his own private lodging, he shared and people congregated there and he was able to explain to them but the key thing to notice here is that he persuaded them about Jesus from the scriptures using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. He persuaded them about Jesus using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. And then it is again quoted what Isaiah had said. It, it quotes what Isaiah had said, what the prophets had said, that People will hear, that in hearing they will hear, but they will not hear. And in seeing they will see, but they will not be able to see. That's why Paul says the Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to these people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And that is found in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. So the, the things that these prophets had prophesied are coming to pass. When Jeremiah was saying these things, when Isaiah was saying this statement, it is being confirmed because the hardness of heart, because the hardness of heart, because of their hardened hearts, people cannot see Jesus. Praise be to Jesus. Now, let me just bring it in simplicity to us. We have read a couple of scriptures there, but now let me just try and bring the point home. The hardness of heart is cited as a reason why people are not able to see Christ. That if a man was to read the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he should be able to understand Jesus. When a man reads the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, Paul was explaining to them Jesus. He was teaching them Christ from the law of Moses and from the books of the prophets. The subject was Jesus. 
I have not said this. It has been evidenced by that particular scripture. Paul was explaining to them the gospel from the law of Moses and from the books of the prophets. It says that he explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him and to his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. He was teaching them about Jesus. He was proclaiming to them the gospel of the kingdom which is the message of Jesus Christ. Which is the message of Jesus Christ. Which is the message of Christ. He was trying to preach to them Jesus. And yesterday I had a brother call me. A, fe a fellow brother of mine. And, he, uh, and one of the questions that he posed to me is he asked me, brother. What is really going on with our marriages? What is the problem? Is it that we have wrong foundations in our marriages? It's one of the things he told me. Is it that we have wrong foundations in our marriages? And I asked him, why do you say that? I asked him, why do you say that? And he told me, because right, left, and center, I am seeing a lot of people that I know divorcing. He was saying, I'm seeing a lot of people that I know having broken marriages. And he said, why, what is the problem? What is really the problem? And as we spoke with him, one of the things I mentioned to him, don't you realize that we have moved away from Christ? Don't you realize that we have moved away from the gospel? Don't you realize that we're no longer preaching Christ? We have tied ourselves to other messages which are not Christ. And to other gospels, which are not Christ. And to other teachings, which are not Christ. And people have become interested in pursuing things, but not God. You recall, you recall in the book of Romans we read about the stubborn and hardened uh, generation that was being referenced to. And part of it was touching on the children of Israel. Part of it was touching Sodom and Gomorrah touching the generations that were there before. And one of the statements that the Apostle Paul mentions as he speaks to the Roman church is that they worshipped the image and not the creator. They worshipped the things that were created, but not the creator himself. They worshipped they worshipped things that were created and not the creator himself. And we see a generation that has moved away from Christ. We see a generation that has moved away from the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith follows our professions. Our faith follows our occupations and our interests and not the other way around. People have become so eager and desirous of things 
that we have cheapened the blessing of God to be material things. If that is the blessing of God, then why should a man who has no faith or confidence in Jesus desire then to be blessed of God? Because he has already attained those things, not even by prayer, not even by trusting God. And so we have a problem. And he was asking me that. And I told him, it is because we have moved away from the gospel of Christ. We have moved away from the message that is centered around Jesus. And time and time again, we see these things happening in the body of Christ. I recall how persecuted I was because of that zeal and that desire to go back to the preaching of Christ. And we get persecutions in church. In the body of Christ is where we get sometimes the utmost persecution. When you have decided, hey, let us preach the finished works of Jesus Christ. Let us preach Christ. Let us talk about his gracious grace, his glorious grace. You are persecuted. And so we linger heavily in the Old Testament. Jumping from story to story, story to story in the Old Testament. But we do not learn from the model of the witnesses of Jesus Christ, the apostles. Because Paul was preaching Christ from the Old Testament. He was preaching Christ from the books of the law and the books yeah. of the prophets. Amen. He was preaching Jesus. He was not preaching someone that glorified Elijah. He was not preaching sermons that glorified Moses. And yesterday I showed you from the scriptures. We were able to see it together. Whereas the Jews had an obsession or a reverence for their forefathers. We see God trying to shift their minds to understand that right now, the one whom they needed to hear was Jesus. And that happened during the transfiguration. As you recall, we read yesterday in Matthew 17 the events that transpired during the transfiguration and their voice came from heaven from God saying this is my son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him they saw Moses they saw Elijah they saw the law and the prophets in the personality of Elijah and Moses and yet God spoke and said hear Christ why because we know that the writings of Moses and Elijah pointed towards events in the future. And one of the, the key central subject was pointing towards Christ. We know the types and shadows of the accounts of the prophets, of the accounts of the books that were written by Moses, pointing towards Jesus Christ. And so Paul was preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Surely we can learn from their examples, can't we? We can emulate after them, can't we? Why? Because they're the ones who brought this message to us. They're the ones that brought this message to us. Acts 28, verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things that were spoken and some did not believe. Some did not believe. And their unbelief 
was demonstrative or was a confirmation of what had been spoken before by the prophet Isaiah, saying, go and say to these people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And the same hardness of heart is what we are seeing today, even in the body of Christ, where people cannot see Christ. They cannot be persuaded that the message to be proclaimed is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We even mock the grace of God. I had preachers referring to the grace of God as greasy grace. They call it greasy grace. We, we, we carelessly insult the grace of God. When Paul stood before Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 22, Paul says, having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those, that, than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Can't you see that? Can't you see that? He says, having therefore obtained the help of God. He says, therefore, having obtained the help of God, I continue to this day witnessing, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer. What did Moses and the prophets say? In Acts 28, verse 23, we have seen that, Moses, that Paul taught from the law of Moses and the books of the prophets concerning the kingdom of God and spoke about Jesus Christ persuading people about Jesus. And here again, he says, before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 22, having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. What did the prophets and Moses say should come? What did the prophets and Moses say should come? That Christ should suffer. That Christ should suffer. And that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and that he will show light unto the people and unto the Gentiles. That is what, that is a summary of what the prophets and Moses say should come. That was what he emphasized, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first to rise from the dead and he will show light unto the people and to the Gentiles and to the Gentiles. Can we see, can we see that? Can we read that? Can we see? Paul says he was obedient to the heavenly vision. He said how God had appeared to him, how Christ appeared to him. Up there in verse 16 of Acts 23, he says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for, the, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness of both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Do you realize the hardness of heart is demonstrated by our attitude towards the gospel of Jesus Christ? The hardness of heart is demonstrated by our attitude towards the message of the grace of God. The hardness of heart is demonstrated even today in the body of Christ by our attitude towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are so excited in preaching several messages. We want to dwell on so many things, but little on Christ Jesus. We have turned the gospel of the kingdom to be a message that is focused on enterprise and the marketplace. And we have even terminologies we use. People call themselves marketplace apostles. We have people calling themselves marriage apostles, all these titles. But we all know, and from the evidence of the scriptures, every apostle that was there referred to themselves as apostles of Jesus Christ, that they were sent of Jesus Christ. But we have all these beautiful artificial titles that sometimes draw us away from the person of Jesus. That draw us away from the person of Jesus. God did not send us to preach about marriage. God did not send us to preach about business. God did not send us to preach about governance. Yes, we can speak to believers who are in those contexts. We can teach believers. We can train them on the subject of marriage, but it is null and void if Jesus is not at the center of it. Amen. Amen. It is null and void. Yeah. It is useless Amen. if Jesus is not at the center of it. The Bible is our evidence. When the Bible refers to the preaching of the kingdom of God, the Bible gives ev evidence of what was said about the kingdom of God. The Bible says how Jesus went out preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, repent for the time has been fulfilled. What was being fulfilled? That which was written by the law of Moses and the prophets about Christ, that he should, about his sufferings and the glory that should follow after. Surely the Bible gives us littered evidence all over the place. And yesterday, as I was speaking to the brother who was asking me what is happening to the marriages, I was bringing some correction to him. He's an entrepreneur who is in the marketplace. And I told him, brother, listen, there is no evidence in the Bible. No evidence in the Bible that our preaching should be about the marketplace. Because in the same body of Christ, there are people who have no business or desire for enterprise. There are people in that body of Christ who just want to go and be missionaries. In the same congregation, there are people who are interested in business. In the same congregation, there are people who just want to go and be aid workers, help people who are in need. They want to go to Turkana and take care of those people who are languishing in famine. And that for them is enough. For them is fulfillment in life. That for them is satisfactory in life. There are those who just want to be counselors and they are satisfied. In the same body of Christ, there are those who just want to be mothers, house, house, um, um, whatever we call home keepers. Stay at home. 
stay at home. No, stay at home. Amen. Amen. And they are satisfied yes. with it. Mm-hmm. They are satisfied with it. They are not called to the marketplace. They are not called to the marketplace. And they are okay with that. They are okay with that. And they find fulfillment in that. And they are not any lesser than any other person. Whether you're a CEO or whether you're a stay-at-home mom, before God, there's no difference. So how did we build the gospel of Christ to be, oh, we are marketplace apostles? How did we move to that? How did we, where, where, where did we get that from? Where did we get that from? So we see that they are going, the hardness of heart is seen in how we handle Christ. And the spirit of God is grieved because Jesus has moved away from our pulpits. Jesus has been moved away from our pulpits. That's why Paul would make reference. He would say we, are, we have this ministry. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have renounced underhanded ways and craftiness of men. We have, we have renounced those crafty dealings. And he says we do not preach ourselves. Another thing that is happening in the body of Christ is people are preaching themselves. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. People are preaching themselves. People are preaching themselves. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ has been turned into personality cults. Personality mm. cults where in the mouth of, uh, in our mouths, there's so much talk about our man of God. There's so much talk about the prophet that you follow. Mm. These are not the creations of Peter Chalo. It is there in the Bible. Paul says it. If you turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, what ministry is he talking about? The ministry of the New Testament, the ministry of revealing Christ, because the context, if you go back to the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he was talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when it begins, are we starting to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like some false teachers, need written credentials or letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do we? No. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, our credentials written in your hearts to be known, perceived, recognized, and to be read by everybody. Then Paul says, you show and make obvious that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And then he says, Such is the reliance and confidence that we have through Christ toward and with reference to God. Verse 5, not that we are fit, qualified, and sufficient in ability of ourselves to form personal judgments or to claim or count anything as coming from us, but our ability and sufficiency are from God. It is he who has qualified us and making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not ministers of the letter of legally written code, but of the spirit 
for the court of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. Paul is referring to themselves as dispensers or ministers of the new covenant. The new covenant of salvation through Christ. It says we are ministers of the new covenant. In the King James Version, it says not that we are sufficient of ourselves and think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God who has made us able ministers of the New Testament. We are ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. We are ministers of the new covenant. That's what Paul is saying. And I don't need to go to 2 Corinthians 3 in detail. Please go and read it in all the simplest versions you can. The context was that as people were preaching Moses, there was a veil upon their hearts. As people were reading Moses, there was a veil upon their hearts because they could not see Jesus. And that's why we have read in Acts 28 verse 23 that Paul was able to teach Christ from the law of Moses. And he was able to teach Christ from the books of the prophets. What does he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, what ministry? Ministry of the New Testament, of salvation in Christ. As we have received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. A minister of Christ has renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Then he says about the gospel, if it is it, verse five, he says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach ourselves. Beloved, we don't preach ourselves. Beloved, we don't preach business. We preach Jesus. There is no man of God, there is no man of God that can take you through a full course. It cannot give you an under, an, an, uh, you, you cannot go through an undergraduate course of business in the church. You will only find it in a university of education. There is no church that will give you a bachelor's degree, or a master's degree. There is no church that will certify you. It is only a business school that can do that. As you learn about business, your faith dictates how you practice the skills that you have learned. Your love for Jesus determines how you practice the skills that you have learned. I dare repeat again, beloved, the church is not a business center. I know you might not like this thing, but I'm showing you the hardness of heart that has entered the body of Christ. Because the moment we have moved away from Jesus, we see the problems that are lingering in the body of Christ. Why are marriages struggling? Because we have moved away from the person. We have moved away from the person of Jesus. Do we really love him? If you are, are you really in love with Jesus that you would abuse your spouse? Are you really in love with Jesus that you would abuse your children? Are you really in love with Christ? Are we really in love with Jesus? Do you think about him to a point where you can even begin to cry? Do you spend time in the closet and you begin to just weep because of your intimacy with the Lord? Are you really in love with him? 
Would you know how much he loves you and how much he really cares for you? But you see, our love of Christ is, is manifest. How we can continually do ministry and Jesus is out of the picture. I, 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 I want to tell you this because I say this with utmost reverence and fear. I have been, I have served in the most business-centric church than many of you. If it is emphasis on the marketplace, I have been there, brothers and sisters. I want to tell you that it does not work. It doesn't work, no matter how much you emphasize on the marketplace. People will go and get their careers and they will leave their wives. People will rise in the ranks and they will leave their wives. They will neglect their families because they, 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 they never were in love with Jesus. They were in love with their pursuits. They were in love with their pursuits. I ask you, brothers and sisters, how is it that day by day you can see a ministry built and there is little about Jesus? Paul was preaching about Christ from the law and the Old Testament. We now even have the New Testament and we still don't preach Jesus. We have no excuse, but it's a reflection of the hardness of heart because when we read it, we cannot see Christ. We cannot yield ourselves to see Christ. We want to focus on those teachings of the Old Testament. We want to teach on them. And as we teach on them, we don't want to point to Jesus. We don't want to point to Jesus. Why? Because every time we introduce Christ, introduce how he has freely given himself of, to us, it's hard for you to get money out of that. It's hard for you to deceive people. It's hard for you to serve your own interest. If you're so focused on Christ, you will realize that your people, even those who follow you, they'll stop looking at you as the man of God. They'll see Jesus. You can never be the superstar. Wow. You can never be the superstar as a pastor. Mm. Jesus will always be the one whose attention is set upon. Amen. You can never be the superstar. You can never be the center of attraction. It can never be you. It can never be us. It has to be Jesus. So how is it that Paul is able to teach Jesus from the Old Testament? From the law of Moses? From the law of Moses? And from the writings of the prophets, he was teaching Jesus. He was teaching Jesus. Beloved, do we have two gospels? Do we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom? Or are they one? Well, that's one of the fallacies that we see in the body of Christ today. They say there's the gospel of the kingdom. And we talk about kingdom economics, kingdom dynamics, kingdom takeover. Then the gospel of Jesus is only preaching people's salvation. Once they get born again, now we give them the gospel of the kingdom. We show them how to operate as kingdom kingdom ambassadors and all these things beloved if there's any calling to us is to bring people to the knowledge of christ jesus i assure you even if you're a billionaire your billions cannot save a soul no amount of money can deliver a soul from the oppression of satan amen it takes the holy ghost 
Amen. You only takes the Holy Ghost. And if anyone is, is attracted to Jesus because of your money, they are not after Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh-huh. Not after Amen. Jesus. Amen. When someone is oppressed of Satan, even if you give them a hundred thousand dollars, it cannot deliver them from the oppression of Satan. It is a Amen. work of the Spirit. Mm. It takes the Holy Ghost. Mm. It takes the Holy Ghost. It takes mm. the Holy Ghost. There is hardness of heart in poor and rich marriages alike. Mm. There is hardness of heart when people are wealthy and when people are poor because it is a spiritual thing. I assure you, if a marriage is happy because finances are there, if the determiner of happiness in a marriage is because there are finances, that marriage is not built on the right foundation. The absence of that money or the strain on finances would almost predict an imminent divorce. And if people are broke and they're hoping they'll be happy in their marriage when they get money, it is a lie. It is a lie. So there's the hardness of heart because Jesus has been pushed out. We no longer want to preach about Christ. We don't want to preach about Christ. Now, when I say these things, am I being too outlandish? Absolutely not. Because this is what we see in the Bible. This is what Jesus, do you know, Jesus' rebuke to his disciples was also because they did not believe in the gospel. They don't believe in Jesus in the resurrection. They had a problem believing the resurrection. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus gives a parable of the sower. You all know the parable of the sower. And I'll just read through it quickly. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd gathered around him, and so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't, they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. 
and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophets, the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But you are blessed because your eye, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Do you see that? He says that there are people whose hearts are hardened and they will not be able to hear. When Jesus was explaining these things, when Jesus was teaching, there are those who could not understand it. They could not understand it. When Jesus was trying to explain to them about his identity, they could not understand it. They could not understand it. Why? Because the Bible says their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They had hardened hearts. Amen. All right? They had hardened hearts. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. We read in the book of Mark and we see again Jesus went, uh, Jesus went into the synagogue again and notice a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. They planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of, the, of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Can you believe that people wanted to kill Jesus because of healing a man on the Sabbath, a man with a deformed hand. And they would still have an issue with somebody with a deformed hand because they were so caught up with the whole idea of legalism. We have to keep the law at all costs that even if you do good on the Sabbath, oh, you're breaking it. So we will plot to kill you because you healed a man with a deformed hand. How hardened can that heart be? How hardened can that heart be, beloved? How hardened were those people's hearts that they would prefer to kill Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath? 
Why? Because their hearts were hardened. They would not be able to see the gospel. They would not be able to understand the message. For them, it was about observing a day, but not understanding the Sabbath rest that God has brought to his people. The man with a deformed hand was healed. He was healed and they went forth seeking, seeking to, and plotting to kill Jesus for healing a man, for doing good, for doing good. They wanted to kill him because their hearts were hardened. They were so caught up in their religious affairs. They were so caught up in their religious pursuits that they would not see the healing of Jesus, the healing that Jesus brought as anything good. That's why the Bible says, their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, lest they turn to me that I may heal them. They had a problem with healing. They had a problem with Jesus healing someone. Mark chapter six, verse 51 to 52. Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six. It says from verse 51, and he went up unto them into the sheep, and the wind ceased, and they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the laws, for their heart was, for their heart was hardened. All right? Okay, let's uh, try and read uh, with some preceding verses. In Mark chapter six, perhaps you can read it from, um, from verse 30. Bible says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time uh, to eat. So they left by boat and uh, for a quiet place. When they where they could be alone but many people recognized them and saw them leaving and the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things late in the afternoon his disciples came to him and said this is a remote place and it's already getting late Send the crowds away so they can go to their nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups of 50 or a hundred. Then Jesus took the fish and loaves. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish 
and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then the breaking, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. And immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the winds and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in, in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all so terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So you see, they still didn't understand the miracles that Jesus has done by being able to feed people, by understanding that he is the bread of life, by understanding that he is able, that if anyone eats of him and drinks of his blood, they will never perish, which was symbolic of who he was. Christ, the life giver. They were not able to understand it. They were still not able to perceive him in full to understand. And they struggled with that. They were able to see the miraculous, but now they were not able to understand in full. Jesus has just done another miracle. So why should it be so difficult when they see him walking on water? Why their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. And then... Um, As we have read that particular passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 17. Mark chapter 8, verse 17, again, Jesus speaks to his disciples about the hardness of heart. In Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 17, the uh, Bible says, and being aware of it, or... Um, Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or even understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You, you have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, but you cannot hear. Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, of, uh, seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said, don't you understand yet? He asked them. He asked them. So they had a difficulty sometimes even understanding the things that Jesus was teaching them. And Jesus is saying to them that you have hardened hearts. He's talking to his disciples and saying they have hardened hearts. Now, um, in Mark chapter 16 mark chapter 16 verse 14 mark chapter 16 
verse 14. This is after the resurrection of Christ. From verse 9 of Mark chapter 16. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and he told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem in the country. They rushed back to tell others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Verse 14 in the King James says, Afterward, he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and he upbraided them. He rebuked them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And as you close up on these thoughts, we see Jesus rebuking his disciples for their hardness of heart not to believe the report of his resurrection. Jesus rebukes them for not believing the resurrection. And Luke 24 has those accounts. And I think I shared with you how they had the report from Mary Magdalene, the women who had gone to the tomb, they did not believe it. Peter went to the tomb and did not find the body of Jesus. He did not believe it. That was a second sign. The third sign was the report that came from the two disciples on their road to Emmaus who Jesus appeared to. And they came and said that Jesus is alive. They did not believe it. Fourthly, Jesus appears to them. They think it was a ghost. They did not believe him. Fifthly, he shows them his hands and his feet. They don't believe him. S uh, number six, he asked them for something to eat. He eats, still they don't believe him. And he had to get into the scriptures. And the Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, one of the statements that he, he, he brings a rebuke is that they were slow of heart to believe all the things that had been said by the prophets, by the law and the prophets, how Christ will rise, how he would suffer, and that he will rise and enter into his glory. They had hardness of heart to believe this. And we see them, we see Jesus rebuking them for their hardness of heart because they would not be persuaded about his resurrection. And he had to expound to them from the scriptures a lot of things concerning himself so that they could understand. And he even told them, these are the things that I said with you that must be fulfilled. These are the things I say that must be fulfilled while I was yet with you. And he said to them, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and that repentance and remissions of his sins will be preached in his name. So there was hardness of heart in the hearts of the apostles. And he had to teach them. And we see the same hardness of heart sometimes continuing even in the life of Peter. 
when they still had a difficulty believing that the Gentiles could also be saved and that this salvation was for everyone because they were limited by their cultural biases, by their traditions. The hardness of heart is sin towards our attitude in believing Christ, towards our attitude in preaching Christ. We see our attitude revealed, the attitude of the heart. The question that we ask ourselves is, what are we after in our life of the kingdom? What are we after in our Christian walk? What are we after? I don't know if you can ask yourself today, what are you after? What are you after? Are you after your marriage being fixed or are you after Christ? Are you after your business being blessed and succeeding or are you after Christ? Are you after getting married? Is, has that become the occupation of your heart in relation to your Christian walk? Your end is marriage, after marriage. Marriage has consumed you. The desire to be married has consumed you that you no longer are after Christ. What are we after? What are we after? There are those that followed Jesus because they saw he could multiply bread. And so they knew, whenever I am hungry, I can be fed. Whenever I'm hungry, I can be fed. There are people that followed him for their personal and selfish motives. And the question today is, what are we really after in Christ Jesus? The hardness of heart is revealed by our pursuits. When our pursuit is not Christ, we can see our heart has been hardened. We can see our heart has been hardened. The disciples also had their challenges. They struggled believing the resurrection. They struggled believing the resurrection. They went back to fishing. Paul is teaching Christ from the Old Testament. Paul is teaching Christ from the law of Moses and from the book of the prophets. But this very day, we even have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have the epistles. We have the Acts, we have Romans, we have Galatians, we have Ephesians, we have Colossians, we have Philippians, we have first and second Timothy, we have first and second Thessalonians, we have the book of Hebrews, we have first John, second John, third John, we have first Peter, second Peter, we have the book of Jude, we have the book of Revelation. And yet, we still cannot preach Jesus. It is a tragedy. It is a shame that Christ still cannot be the center, even after his passion. Even after his resurrection. Everyone who is in the kingdom of God says, 
I was led to Christ. I got born again in the name of Jesus. But yet, their whole life of Christianity is not centered around learning about Jesus. It is not centered about learning about Christ. People are being educated about demons, about the underworld, about curses and generational curses. We have books on curses, books on curses. We have all manner of books today in the body of Christ. But Christ is never the center of it. Christ is never the center of it. We are worshiping personalities and Paul rebuked people because of that. At one point they tore their garments because they would not take glory from man. They would not take the praises of man. But now we preach ourselves. We preach ourselves. Because the lack of Christ or the absence of Christ from our pursuit is indicative of how hardened our hearts have been. That our passion is no longer yielded to him. Our passion is yielded to other things. Some of us are pursuing our own fame. Ministry has become the platform to cover up all our shortcomings or to atone for our feelings of insufficiency. If I have never been celebrated before, if I had an inferiority complex, then the title man of God or the title of ministry now makes me feel like I'm now someone important. And so I use it to gain some recognition and reputation. I feel good when I have fried my hair and I am wearing fancy suits. And now I have people following me all over and I have an attitude to receive money for myself. So people should give to me because now it is about me. The pursuit has ceased to be Jesus. We are after building a name for ourselves. We are after building a name for ourselves. But we can never see Christ. Christ is not seen. Oh, God forbid. Beloved, the hardness of heart is revealed because we're no longer pursuing after Christ. That's why he would be preached and people still would not see him. He would be preached. He would preach and yet people's hearts were hardened. Their hearts had not become simple. They were entangled in traditions. They were entangled in pride. They were entangled in their practices. There was a lot of hypocrisy, pretense, looking pious and holy by practicing the law, yet very well they knew that they were not able to uphold those things. By no means shall anyone be justified by the law. But they were not interested. Their hearts had grown cold that they would have a problem with someone being healed. There was a woman who had been bent in her back and Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. And they had problems with that woman being healed. A man had a deformed hand and he was healed. They had a problem with that man being healed because their hearts had become so hardened. 
And we also see our hearts becoming hardened when we, I am so occupied to meet my own desires and goals above yielding to God. Have you been in church and your, your greatest grievance, the reason why you cannot enjoy the joy of salvation, the reason why you cannot celebrate, the reason why you cannot be happy is because you've never found a husband? And the subject of a husband has become the occupation of your life. You are so caught up in trying to get married, so caught up in trying to get married that every time you go to the ministers of the Lord, perhaps what we want is a prophecy regarding our spouse. We are so caught up, so bent on being married, so determined on being married that we can never be happy as long as we don't have a man in our lives. We are always after what we desire. So the idea of being married has become an idol in our lives, not the pursuit of God. The idea of success has become the idol in our lives and not God. The desire for gain has become the center of focus and not an intimacy with Jesus. Not an intimacy with Jesus. That is not what we are after. We are after things. We are after things. So Jesus is no longer our pursuit. He's no longer our desire. He's no longer our passion. What has become of our hearts? When we are so caught up in our own pursuits, in our own interests, the hardness of heart is seen even in terms of how we shut our hearts to those that are in need because we are also occupied by our own needs and by our own desires. James chapter two, verse 15 to 16 says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? First John 3, 17 says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How does it abide in us? How does the love of God abide in us? When we have become self-centered. When we've become self-centered. Is Jesus our pursuit, beloved? Is Jesus our desire? I don't take it lightly when I say this, but I'm telling you, Christ has disappeared from our pulpits. Christ has disappeared from our pulpits. When our major goal, when our major focus, when our major goal is just fixing marriages, 
continually. Our goal is fixing marriages. How did we get there? Because it was supposed to be Christ. And the reason why we are trying to fix so many marriages is because people have lost Christ. They have lost their focus from Jesus. They're no longer passionate about him. They're no longer in love with Christ. Because if he was at the center of your heart, you would be entreated. You would be willing to do that which is good. What are we built upon, beloved? Are we built upon Jesus? I'm not by any means minimizing the importance of functional marriages in the body of Christ. But what I'm saying is, are you that person who will turn up for a marriage conference, but if you're told turn up for a prayer meeting, you cannot turn up? Has your pursuit become fixing that husband or fixing that wife that is a bit wayward than pursuing after Christ? Good question. Has your pursuit become fixing your problems than growing in God's grace, growing in your love for him by receiving his love? Because the hardness of heart is demonstrated in our pursuits, beloved. It is demonstrated in our pursuits. When our hearts have become hardened, Yes, we will hear about him, but we will not see. We will not hear. And that is why to this very day, it is still a debate, it's still a struggle whether the gospel should be preached. Whether the gospel is about Jesus Christ. So what are we pursuing? We're pursuing breakthroughs. We are pursuing breakthroughs. We are pursuing all manner of things, but we are not pursuing Jesus. May our hearts return to him. May our hearts return to him. Just like the prophet Isaiah read before and said, people will hear, but they will not hear. They will see, but they will not see. Why? Because their hearts have become hardened. They will hear about Christ, but they will not see him. They will see their problems. They will hear about Christ, but they will not see him. They will see their needs. And they're the ones that are urgent and that should be fixed. That's why we have people engaging in transactional relationships with the Lord. Transactional relationships. That is not our portion. We will not be in transactional relationships, but loving relationships. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we are learning, Lord. Thank you that you have helped us to see that you have always been at the center of it. That even as the Apostle Paul taught Christ from the law of Moses and from the prophets, 
it helps us to see that the center of attention has always been Jesus. It helps us to see that it has always been about you, Lord, and nothing else. But Lord, we see in our churches, we see in our hearts today, Christ is not preached. We see it in our attitudes that we are pursuing other things and not you, Lord. Our pursuit has ceased to be you, Lord, but it has been other things. Father, we repent of it and we ask that you would help us, that we may see Christ, that he might be the focus of our attention, that he might be the main desire of our hearts, Lord. I pray for everyone that that will be our portion, Lord, that we will turn our hearts away from this stubbornness and we shall pursue after you, Lord. You shall be the joy of our hearts. You shall be the song that is on our lips. As your word says, out of the lips of suckling and babes, thou hast ordained perfect praise. Father, may it be so for us. Let us turn away from an obsession with our own desires and let us allow you to be the desire of our hearts, Lord. Because when we have you, Lord, we will be content. When we have Jesus, when you have captured our hearts, when you have been formed in us, when you are the center, we know that everything else will be good. We know that it will be well with us, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this will be our attitude moving forward. We thank you and we bless you and we commit ourselves to you, Father, that even tomorrow as we learn about the hardness of heart in marriage, may you be the center. May you be the center, Lord. As we close tomorrow on this subject, Father, may you be the center. May you be the center in all things. How we bless you, how we praise you, how we thank you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We honor you and we exalt you. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, I would like to pray with you. And you can repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you this day. I receive your forgiveness. And I declare that I am born again. I am justified by faith. I receive your grace for me. And I declare that I am yours. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you. I pray for everyone that you will bless their work, the work of their hands today, that it will cause them to prosper because your word says you delight in the prosperity of your people. Amen. I pray that in all their pursuits today, they'll be filled with joy and rejoicing and that they will indeed amen. enjoy the beauty of salvation. How I pray that their smiles will be bright today. How I pray that their hearts will be joyful. How I pray that they will experience the beauty of your grace in all they do today. Yes. Oh, you are wonderful. You love them and you care for them. Father, let your joy rule in our hearts. We say thank you. We mm -hmm. bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Mm. Amen. 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 Amen.